BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Frank, Frank at home, you know, and not, not bruise, not being the character, you know, just like how, how he was with you guys when he was home and he was off the road. Yeah, because what it was, we had five acres. We were in the hill country in San Antonio and had five acres. So when he came home, we'd kind of shut the gates and then that's, you know, stay and be a family because, as I said, he was recognised a lot. I mean, we had some good neighbours that he knew and everything like that, but he wouldn't, we wouldn't really do, he just wanted to unwind, you know, after being on the road and eating green beans and tuna. <laughs> he just wanted to come home and have some steaks. And, uh, I was going to ask, I was going to ask, what did he eat? What, what did he eat when he was home? But yeah, steaks. Steaks and protein. Yeah, the uh, protein things you mix up in a blender and that with eggs and ice cream. And yeah, a lot of these people are... Tony Guru, Kiwi too. Yes, so he's a, yes. Yeah, he's absolutely. a Kiwi. I just saw him not that long ago. I rode up to Charlotte with him uh, not so long. So there are, oh, another one, Bushwhacker Luke. I was going to say, I was going to ask about the sheep, <laughs> sheep herders, the Bushwhackers. That that was yeah. what was coming into my mind, Barbara. Yeah. Can't, leave, can't leave them guys out. Oh, no, dear, dear old Luke. Yeah, I just I've seen him a couple of times too in some of the events that I've gone to, and like I said, when we were in Charlotte, there was uh, there was Luke, there was Tony, and there was me. We had the Kiwi connection. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. the second episode of 2024 episode 165 of Stu's wrestling podcast it's the fifth anniversary of the show and have i got a guest for you today pro wrestling veteran he was employed by wwe as a talent and a road agent for many many years it is the legend mr tony garea all the way from cape canaveral in florida nasa town as i like to call it tony what an honor have you on the show today on Stu's Wrestling Podcast. Thank you, Stu. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, we're having a little rain down here in sunny Florida. It's been this way for about six or seven days now. I don't know what the heck is going on. Never happened in my younger day. It's probably waited till I retired and then, <laughs> you know, the you disappears. At least you've not had snow because I'm in Wales. I've just... Oh, yeah. Stopped just off the border of England, like literally about 45 minutes away from Chester, Liverpool, places like that. And uh, we've had snow. We've had snow. So if the weather's not great in Florida, my word. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Tony, I'd like to speak to you about your beginnings, obviously, in New Zealand, training pro wrestling, just like getting your start in the business and uh, just your life in New Zealand before you came to America. 
Yeah, well, I was a, uh, I was that uh, skinny little guy, like uh, I was about 10 and a half stone. And I, I went to the gym to put some weight on, you know, and that was a no-no. That was back in about 60, 63, 64. And uh, I played rugby uh, in school and, until that uh, time. And then I went and I played rugby league after I gained a few pounds. I was about um, about 185 pounds, which is about 13 and a half stone, I think, by memory, you know. And um, I played that. And, of course, lifting the weights was a no-no back there because they said you got muscle-bound and you couldn't run and you couldn't do this and you couldn't do that. But uh, I didn't uh, lift weights during the season. I waited till after the season. And there, there was a guy there, Wild Don Scott. He was in a, a club. And he asked me if I'd be interested in, uh, you know, pro wrestling. And I said, sure. So uh, he started training me. And we had a, uh, a canvas on the floor with some carpet felt under it. And um, and that's what, where we trained on. So when we took a bump, you know, we were like uh, about a, a, a quarter inch from the hardwood floor. So, you know, we felt them. And then uh, I had my first match, I think, in 1969 in August. And uh, then the promoter wanted me not to play rugby league. And that was my... Uh, that was my fave, you know, so I uh, I continued to play and he didn't book me as wrestling. He was frightened I'd get hurt. What hurt? That wasn't even my vo vocabulary. And uh, and then they wanted somebody to go to Australia for two weeks. So um, he asked me and I said, yeah, and it was $250 a week. I almost fell out of my chair, you know, because I was, I was working 40 hours and making $40 and I was raising a family on that. Mm -hmm. So I went over there and I, I don't know what happened, but he kept me for eight weeks. Jim Barnett was the promoter. And then he, uh, I went back home to New Zealand and he said he'd bring me back. And about, Two months later, he brought me back, and I stayed for 12 weeks. And that's where he asked me if I wanted to go to the United States. And I'd heard that he'd only ask you one time. So straight away, he said, Tony, he said, would you be interested in going to the United States? He said, I think you'd do very well there. I said, yes. And I had no money. You know, I, I managed to save some while I was in Australia and uh, I went uh, back home and my visa came through, which I didn't think it would. I was getting ready for, you know, for leave, you know, and uh, I was a little short on, on money on my round trip ticket. So I had a Zephyr 4. A 1964 Zephyr 4, it was worth about $1,200, I think. So I went to the loan people and I asked them for $500 using that as collateral. And they turned me down. I said, you got to be kidding me. 
I'm going to the United States. I'm going to wrestle. I'm going to be making at least $500 a week. <laughs> you know, and that's another story. But um, so they gave me the 500 And uh, I got the round trip ticket because I had to have that, you know, as proof that I wasn't going to stay in the United States. This was back in 72. So we're like, 50, 51 years. It'll be 51 years in March. And um, so that's how I got here. And uh, I don't know whether that's a long story or what. But, uh, oh, I landed here with $200 in my pocket. Which? And to Australia. I came here with an Australian uh, uh, friend of mine, Johnny Gray, and uh, so there was two of us, and then there was uh, uh, Larry O'Day and uh, Bob Miller from Australia. They were in Florida. That's where I started. So we had somebody, you know, t that we knew uh, to meet us, you know, and give us some direction of where to stay. And God, we had to get a car, we had to get an apartment, and uh, I ended up with a, a 1960. Uh, 65, I think, uh, Mustang, six-cylinder, no air conditioning in Florida, you know, we, we just wind the windows down, keep the windows down and take it up to like uh, about 120 kilometers, and uh, that was our air conditioning. So, uh, and that cost us $200, but I split it, you know, we... Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't be able to buy it. The American dream very early on, then, for you was it? Would you would you term it the American dream? You know, you you were younger. You, you know, you you moved away from New Zealand, Australia. Uh, were you? Did it worry you in any way? The culture, the difference, the way the way it is over in the states. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, I I thought coming from New Zealand, I thought everybody had a big house and everybody had uh, you know two or three cars, and um, everybody was well off. And then when I was driving through the country, even in Florida, I could see the poverty out there. You know, I said, Christ, this is worse than New Zealand. Yeah, you know, not for everybody, of course, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of the houses there, they were like, holy Jesus. You know, you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't want to live there, but people were living there because that's all they had. And then the food, I didn't know what the hell to eat. You know, they. I, I think I went into a, a Mexican restaurant and I'm looking at the menu and I don't recognize anything, you know. I'd be happy there with a hamburger, you know, but then they spiced shit up or back in New Zealand, you know, we had bland food. My mother was, her mother was Irish and her father was English and my dad was Croatian. And, um, you know, it was very bland cooking, you know, like meat and potatoes, but every day, seven days a week, steak, pork, lamb, you know, mutton. Oh, God, I should be dead, according to modern science. And then I, <laughs> I, I drink more milk than anybody I, I know, you know, from when yeah. I was a kid. And then at school, you used to get the half pints. And I remember one day I was going to say, I said, let me see how many I can drink. And I was about 
seven years old and I drank uh, four half pints of milk. And it wasn't out of the refrigerator, it was left outside. Oh, my <laughs> word. That could, have that could have turned your stomach, mate. That yeah. could have turned your stomach, that. No, oh, I got oh, stomach. I, I, I can drink acid. My stomach is so, <laughs> uh, so strong. New yeah, Zealand, on the inside. Yeah. New Zealand lamb and Welsh lamb. They're highly, they're highly thought of, you know. Yeah. We get, oh, we, yeah. Get New Zealand, we get New Zealand lamb over here. Yeah. Very yeah, and stuff. it's cheaper over there than it is in New Zealand. <laughs> no, I swear to God. I, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt you. I'm not questioning yeah. you on that. Absolutely not. Absolutely mm. not. Going back to America, Tony, you know, the early times in your career there, mm. how, how was it? How was it getting into the ring early on there? You had your basis from the homelands, but yeah, going yeah. to America and getting into the ring, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, it was... Um... I, I was a little doubtful in the in in the beginning, but then uh, uh, down in Florida, I I, I uh, made friends with Jack Briscoe. You know, we kind of hit it off, and he was kind of my mentor there, which was very good because he'd had a lot of experience. You know, I was as they call it, I was green, but I didn't know I was green. You know, so I thought, well, the harder I work, you know, they're going to put me up up to the up the ladder you know and, and then i found out that that wasn't working and then i said to me oh well you got to be in the right place at the right time or, or know the right people so i just um i went in and 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 i worked hard every match i had and uh got by and then there was um a guy that came through new zealand by the name of tony marino and he was down in Florida on vacation, and he worked a couple of shots. And he said, how are you doing here? I said, um, not that good. I was able to save $40, $50 a week, but I was sending $100 back to my family every week. And uh, I was averaging there about $290, you know, so I was below my expectations. And, and Tony said, um, he said, well, do you ever think about going up to Buffalo, New York, you know? And uh, he said, they're doing pretty good up there. You know, you, by pretty good back then was six, $700 a week. I said, no. So I talked to Eddie Graham, who was the promoter there. And I mentioned, you know, Buffalo, New York. And he said, oh, you don't want to go there. Evidently, the promoter. The promoter had a bad reputation. So he says, I'll give Vince McMahon a call. This is senior. So um, I went in the office. This is over a three-week period, and I had to go get my pay and get my bookings uh, in the office down there in Florida. And uh, I seen Eddie. I said, Eddie, did you talk with uh, Vince McMahon yet? He said, no. He said, I tried to get him. He said, let me get him now. So he sat down at his desk and I went in and he got on the phone and I got booked right there. And then, so September 20th, 1972, uh, I went up and uh, done my first television. What he used to do, he used to bring you in for, for two, three-week television shoots. So I went up on 
on the 20th in Philadelphia and done one shoot and, and then uh, then to Hamburg, Pennsylvania on the 21st. And then I came back three weeks later and uh, done the same thing. And then I think it was October 28th, I left Florida and drove up and had my first match for New York in uh, Patterson, New Jersey against the wrestler called uh, Joe Turco. <laughs> so my mind is still there. Must be absolutely, the absolutely is that you can recount it all. No question. Yeah. So yeah. just uh, so, how, how was it on the East Coast? You know, obviously you'd come to Florida. How, how did you find that? And you were in the East Coast area with the old WWF. Yeah, I found I found, I found it good. You, you know, I was like amazed at the traffic, and then the first time, like I, I settled in Philadelphia uh, it, it, area. Uh, you know, I got a hotel there, and then I drove up to Patterson, New Jersey, on the New Jersey Turnpike, and then we got to New York, and I'm saying, holy smoke! And actually, New York was the last place I wanted to go in the world because, mm -hmm. like in New Zealand, uh, I was uh, partly raised on an orchard. So we, we were out in the country, and I kind of mm -hmm. liked that uh, lifestyle, you know. Absolutely. But uh, that all went up in smoke. And I only came for a year, and I'm still here 51 uh, years later. Could you? My mathematics is a little bad. <laughs> It's crazy. It's crazy that it's just crazy. You're still there, like that mm. is. But obviously, obviously, you loved it. You love it. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, I brought my family over, and of course, they're all grown up now. They're almost as old as me, my children now. So, uh, uh, and uh, I, I settled in Florida. I lived in Connecticut for about forty years, but the. Um, the, the way they govern these states over here, it's bloody ridiculous. And, uh, you know, it's it, it's ridiculous all, all over the world. You know, in New Zealand, my brother said, he said, you can't believe the price of stuff. Like eggs, $10 a friggin' dozen. Yeah, and they've got things all over the place. Mm -hmm. It's gone you know? bananas. It's gone bananas, Tony. It doesn't matter what it is. Everything, yeah. Everything's inflated. Yeah. It's, uh, it's hard for people, uh, you know. You're trying to trying to buy a house. I, I feel yeah. for the younger ge generation trying to get themselves on the property ladder. Well, you're, you're talking about houses. I built a house in 1968 for me. My first house cost me nine thousand and four dollars. Wow. That's what it cost yeah. me. Today, it's a million dollar home. Who the hell can afford that? This is it. This is it. And they want they want a hefty uh, they want a hefty deposit. The yeah. Bank. You know, for you to even get there. So yeah, it, it's hard. It, it's hard for people. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They may as well put the mm. minimum wage up to a hundred dollars an hour, mm. and and mm. and then charge eighty dollars a gallon mm. or, or for gas or twenty dollars a liter. Yeah, it's astro astronomical. Astronomical. I've got I've got some photos here, Tony. Obviously, okay. with different different wrestlers. I I know you'll have plenty to say and. Uh, well, here he is, Andre the Giant. There, I've obviously I pinched this from somewhere from someone's personal collection because you've signed it. But uh, oh yeah, I'm sure they won't mind. But yeah, Andre, 
Andre, you, you just your experiences of Andre, the legend. Well, the well I met I met Andre in New Zealand. Um... BP added more than seventy billion dollars to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It was probably, it was before I came to the States. It was January or February of 72. He was in Australia and uh, from Australia, um, the promoter in New Zealand had a deal with uh, Jim Barnett, who was a promoter in Australia, you know, to bring some guys over. And uh, I told him, I said, and Andre could hardly speak English. And I said, I'm going to the States this year. Maybe I'll see you over there. So in 1974, I walked into the dressing room in Philadelphia and Andre was there. And he seen me, you know, as I walked in and he got up and he said, hello, Tony, you know. So uh, he remembered me, you know. This was in 74, and he was with his uh, manager, Frank Valois. And I said, Andre, I said, who are you traveling with? You know, you know, what's your plans, you know? And he said, well, we're going to stay here for a couple of weeks, and then um, we're moving on. I said, who are you traveling with? He says, oh, I don't know, you know. So I said, well, you know, come with me. So uh, we traveled together. Like every time he came to New York, he, you know, I, I took care of him as far as driving around. This was in the early seventies, mid seventies. Him and his um, uh, manager Frank, and uh, we drank some beers. We had some fun, you know. We just, just carried on. And I think I, we were born the same year, and wow. Andre was uh, about three months older than me, and. And um, uh, Frank Goodish, uh, Bruiser, he was born the same. He was this. We were all the same age, the three of us. Yeah. I bet, I bet you. I bet you didn't even attempt to keep up with how much Andre was drinking. Oh no! Drinking. I, I, actually, it, it was a little strange because uh, we left Philadelphia one time and. Uh, crossed the bridge into New Jersey and there was a, a bar that I knew you could, you know, buy beer. That's where I used to stop. So I said, well, we got 180 miles, about three hour drive. So I'll buy a case and a half. We got uh, to the end of the New Jersey turnpike and the beer was gone. So I knew another place before I crossed the George Washington Bridge that you get some more. So I bought three more six packs and that was gone before we got out of New York. <laughs> like, Holy Christ. And then I'm watching Andre and I'm trying to count. And I think I was drinking one beer and he was drinking four. So long story short, that was two cases. That's four, eight, nine, six packs. I think. Unbelievable. Yeah. Between the three of us. Yeah. But I'm I'm driving and he's feeding me the beer. Come on. <laughs> you're, Come waiting, on you're waiting, you're waiting for a traffic cop. 
Yeah. He, I, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, with all the driving and drinking, we all done, right? And uh, uh, we we never got pulled over. Uh, I did. I didn't. And um, there was no, you know, blow in the bag or whatever. So I was pretty lucky, I guess. Absolutely. The only time I got into accidents was when I was sober. <laughs> Somebody you run in the back of me or some damn thing. You couldn't, you couldn't yeah, script it. You couldn't, you couldn't script that, Tony. You just couldn't script it. Like yeah. that's 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 amazing. That's amazing. Now, yeah. I didn't realize you 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 tagged with Pat Patterson in San Francisco when you. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll uh, I'll bring the photo up, but yeah, obviously. I, I remember you as the on-screen personality when there was a big mm -hmm. kickoff at the events because I was 1990 onwards watching WWF. Oh, yeah. And uh, obviously you and Rene Goulet, I just remember you guys coming out when there was a kickoff outside the ring. But yeah. Pat, Pat Patterson, obviously you tagged with him, you were a tag team champion with him as well. So just yeah. Pat Patterson, I think I've got that. Yeah, got, I think I've got the right photo there. Yeah, that's Pat, uh, Pat's, Pat's in shot. Yeah, that's Pat and Vince. Who's the other guy? Is that Rick? Is that Rick Martel? It, it could be Rick, yeah. Yeah, it looks like Rick Martel to me, Tony. Yeah. Um, yeah, Pat Pat was a, a he he was great. Uh he had great ideas and you know he would um he was great in the ring, and I learned a lot. Actually, San Francisco was a place that if you went to San Francisco and you worked over here in the United States, you could almost work anywhere in the United States because the promoter, Roy Shires, although a lot of people didn't like him, I liked him. You know, he was uh, like in your face, you know, and he'd tell you the way it was, you know. Like I threw a lousy drop kick one night and he seen it. He says, I don't know what the hell you call that uh, drop kick, you know. And I made uh, some excuse about new boots and and heavy, you know. But it, at least he taught you, you know. I had a match one time on television and he gave me, uh, he gave me the match on uh, the night before we were in San Jose. He said, you're working with Frank Monty, and Frank Monty was a baby. Uh, not not Frank Monty, Jerry Monty. There is a Frank Monty, and I get them mixed up. And Jerry was a local guy, and I um, I said to Roy, I said, Roy, is this a babyface match, or is uh, Jerry going to be a heel? He said, no, babyface match. He said, why? You know, can't you handle it? I said, no, I just want to think of some spots, you know, for it. So anyway, we had the match, and uh, I thought it was pretty good. But then when I, I left the, uh, the, the studio area to go in the back room, Roy was there, and he shook my hand. And the guys, like, their eyes opened up, and he said, you know, he said, that was a hell of a match, kid. And uh, the guys, you know, that had been there for a while, they never seen him compliment anybody on a match. So... I guess uh, I was headed in the right direction. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. What what a what a visionary Pat was. You know, I've I've, oh, watched, yeah. I've watched documentaries, obviously, on him. Uh, God rest his soul. Um, mm. You know, he he was the man that came up with the Royal Rumble. 
you know. Yeah. Look how, look how successful that's been, you know. Yeah, and Survivor Series, you know. Mm -hmm. They asked us. I remember they said it's going to be a, a Thanksgiving Day uh, um, pay-per-view. Mm -hmm. So they asked us for ideas, and and I thought, well, something to do with turkeys, you know, or Thanksgiving Day, you know. And then the next thing, it's a Survivor Series, you know. And uh, like you say, the Royal Rumble, yeah, he came up with all sorts of. But you know, he would ask. He had a match. And he he came to me and he said, and I wasn't great on on finishes and everything. You know, I could I could watch a match and and I could, uh, you know, after it was over, I could say, well, if you do this and you did this and you know that would be better. So the next time, as an agent, you know, I would I would insert that into the match, and. Uh, it would work but pat came to me one time he said he had a, a a tag match and i think it was the hardy boys and uh maybe with the one two three kid and somebody else and he said this is what i've got to do you know so i said well you have to get him out of the way right he said yeah i said well have so-and-so take a bump out and then just you know sell it and then when it's time when he you know a little while you know pull this guy out and he said oh yeah so he said thank you and he went to that but he 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 advanced on what i told him what i thought you know should happen and and he got it done and he put a, a few other things but he was great i mean jesus i met him at his house at like six o'clock in the morning you know to get the rundown of the show, I was going to Canada, you know. <laughs> Bloody things we did. It's like incredible, incredible. Yeah. What a time. What a time for you guys being in it in it. And obviously it predates me slightly. I, I was booked uh, booked. I was born in nineteen eighty-six. So oh, Christ, I was an old man then. Uh, no, you no, yeah. Tony. Tony, yeah. you're still you're still sharp as a tack. Don't worry yeah. about that. That was almost the end of my career because I became an agent in 87, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Wow. You you were enhancing the guys, weren't you? You were, you were singles towards the back end, weren't you, of your career? I know you were synonymous with tag wrestling, and I'll get to Rick Martel, you know, mm -hmm. when you guys were tagging, but you were you were enhancing guys, weren't you, more, more latterly when, in that end portion of your wrestling career? Yeah, yeah, towards the end, yeah. And I didn't have a problem. Like, I no. uh, I worked with Bob Orton uh, Jr., and we broke in together. It was in Detroit, and uh, I was still wrestling, and somebody didn't show up. I think Tony Atlas never showed up. So uh, Strongbow, who was a friend of mine, he said, he called me Anthony. He said, Anthony, I'm going to have you work with Bob. So I said, o okay. I said, but it's not going to mean a hell of a lot, you know, if we don't, you know, have a match. If he just goes there and, and gobbles me up. And we had one hell of a match. And he gave me, he had the uh, cast on his, on his arm at the time. And he used that. I had him beat. And then the referee walked through because we were tied up in the ropes and uh, 
then he hit me with the cast and uh it was a it turned out to be a hell of a match you know and that being said it was i didn't have a problem with it but these young guys that came in thought that they knew how to wrestle in their own mind and they the ones that listened done all right the ones that didn't listen they kind of faded into the uh, into the forest there was one guy uh duke the dumpster i told him to do mm -hmm. one thing he said i don't think that'll work mm -hmm. after i watched the match you know and i said well i tell you what this was the next night i said what we talked about do it tonight and if it doesn't work Forget I ever said yeah. I knew it was going to work. So I watched it, and it worked like a charm. It was perfect. And then he came back, and I know he was going to look it for me. So I hid from him. For quite <laughs> a while. And, and then he found me, and he said, he said, Tony, it worked. I said, what worked? I played dumb. He said, what we talked about. I said, really? He said, yeah, it worked like a bloody charm. <laughs> And years later, he seen me and he thanked me again, you know, yeah. for giving him that little bit of advice. It was not, it wasn't, it, it, it was just, you know, going from A to B instead of A to D mm -hmm. or E, you know, it, it's just segueing into the, uh, into the next um, hole, you know, instead of just like, like I, I went to a, uh, what do you call it uh some match with a bunch of young fellas you know and one guy was selling and then the next thing he's not selling you know so i told him about that you know i said just do this all you have to do is do this and then you know it, it it's, it's a lot smoother mm -hmm. you know? but i you know, that being said, a lot of these guys, they don't have the experience guys like uh, I had went, you know, and and other guys like my age, like back in the day, mm -hmm. you, you work with a guy that had experience, you know, like Killer Kowalski, you know, mm -hmm. Stan the Man Stasiak, mm -hmm. you know, and they knew how to tell stories and it was so damn easy, you know, but it, I just listened. You know, and that was it. I mean, that's what I mean. That's what's missing now in Mokai. Mm. I will. I watch current wrestling. I think. Mm. It, I think. I think it's lost again. You're saying about guys that you were in charge of in in the 80s and 90s and the 2000s yeah. in, into 2010s, obviously because you're with WWE to like 2014, weren't you? Uh, mm. I think it's. I think they're not. They're not listening. Um, you know, there's a lot of spots now in matches. I think. Um, I, I like modern wrestling, don't get me wrong, Tony, but I think the psychology's lost. And that's oh, yeah, definitely psychology's gone over the years, but I think it's even yeah. worse now. It, it's um I'm 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 a wrestling fan. I've never got in the ring, I don't pertain to but as as a fan, even I see things and it doesn't make sense. It, no, it, it, it doesn't make yeah. sense sometimes. It, it takes I think what they do, they script the match and they go out there. And whether the people want to see it or not, they're going to give it to them. It's like, uh, you know, it's it's like having Yorkshire pudding every every night for dinner. You know, eventually you're going to get sick of it. Uh, it that's the way I look. 
Well, when Bruno lost the belt to superstar Billy Graham in Baltimore, they sent me out to the ring before Bruno left it. Yeah, you know, just to like console mm -hmm. Bruno, you're mm -hmm. right, blah, blah, blah. So then I stayed there. And the guy I was wrestling, hell of a wrestler, um, amateur and pro, uh, Baron Von Rasky. So for 12 minutes, we had 20-minute Broadway. There was nothing. They would, everybody was like, you know, talking about Bruno loser. Did he really lose the belt, you know? And it was packed house, 10,000 people. That's as many as you could get in. So for 12 minutes, there, there was nothing. We could have been invisible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for 10 minutes, um, Rashke had my arm, you know, and, and I was kind of fighting a little bit, you know. But, and then at the 12-minute mark, there was a, ooh, you know, like he pulled my hair when I got up. And then we both looked at each other and says, we got him. And, uh, and the next eight minutes, it was like a main event. But it took us 12 minutes to get there mm -hmm. because of the situation mm -hmm. that happened. You know, it was, a, it was a bitch of a place to be on, you know. We should have been before the, mm -hmm. the main event, you know, but we were after the main event. <laughs> so, uh, you, you know, I learned a lot there, you know, like it wasn't doing anything. And, and uh, it, we let the people, like, come into the ring. Mm -hmm. Like, there's so many guys, like, they do something to the guy. Like, they give him a good punch. And uh, look at me. And, and, the, and the guy falls down, you know, sells his jaw. And then they look at the people, you know, instead of looking over him. You know, look over him and the people will come. And then you look at the people. That's the, that's the way it does. But uh, you can talk and talk and talk. Absolutely. I the old timers like Strongbow was great. You know, he said, no, no, no. He, he, he was a good psychologist, you know. Mm -hmm. Killer Carl Cox, he was, an, he was mm -hmm. great. Uh, uh, Dick Murdoch. Mm -hmm. Well, he learned from uh, Carl Cox. There, there were... Um, some great uh, old timers there, and I. If I was to have a friggin' wrestling school, which I'll never will, I'll have them watch. You know, guys like Ray Stevens, Killer Carl mm -hmm. Cox. Uh, you, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Jack Briscoe, Dory Funk. Just that will be it. Four hours a day. You're gonna watch these tapes. Mm -hmm. Like most of the guys, you know, like they wonder why. You know, like like the. Uh, uh, the Samoan boys, it, almost every one of them have psychology because they grew up watching it. Look, look at uh, Randy Orton, you know, he's just absolutely fantastic. But, you know, I wrestled his father, I wrestled his grandfather, and I wrestled his uncle. The only guy I didn't wrestle was Randy. He won't accept my challenge. <laughs> I tell you what, Tony, we were in... Um... We're in New Orleans for WrestleMania in uh, 2014, right? And we're down Bourbon Street. Yeah. Orton, Orton comes down with his wife, who he's with now. I yeah. it, it was like the Red Sea parted. Nobody yeah. went up to him. There was thousands of people, right? I, yeah. I, wanted to, I wanted to speak to him, but everyone had the same idea. They let that man walk down the street. Honestly, yeah. it was like respect. 
it was mm. sorry, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here talking about Randy, but it was so it was like nobody we just all moved out of his way and let him come through because it was his personal mm. time, personal time with his wife, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, the fans are you know, pretty good uh you can't Oh, Vince didn't want us to call them fans. And there's something at uh, the universe. Yeah. Yes, yes, we all yeah, the universe. Yes, yes. universe. Like I was thinking the other day, I was I was in the WWF and the mm -hmm. WWF, and then I was behind the scenes in the WWE, and I was also in the WW. <laughs> <laughs> that was between the WWF and the WWE. It was just the WW for a while. Tony, mm. I've, Tony, I've got a question here from Joe Lowry. He's he's from Massachusetts originally, but he's now living in Iowa. So I have got a question for you, and I'll bring it up now. I do have a question for Tony Guerrero. Does he have any idea as to why himself, as well as Rick Martel, are not in the WWE Hall of Fame? I have no idea at all. That's been asked for me. But I remember, remember Spike Milligan? I do, of course. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. course I do. Very I, I famous. used to listen to them on the Goon Show. And, and he, was, um, he was put into the Hall of Fame. Uh, I guess in 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 England with the comedians, and he said about bloody time. He said <laughs> that was a part of his acceptance speech. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know. You know, like I, um, I remember I got a call a few years back, but I was in New Zealand because when I retired, I figured I'll go back to New Zealand every year. I go see my brother, my sister, my cousins nieces, nephews, everything. And I'll do that once a year. And I got a call, but I didn't get it till late. You, you know, uh, I think when I got back. So I, ca I called up and I got the message, message machine. I left the message. I was in New Zealand. I said, I just got this call. And it was about going to a TV show uh, before WrestleMania. And I think that might have been some and and maybe the guy, you know, he just mentioned, well, I called him and he never called me back or something like that. So I, I, I don't know what the hell it was. Maybe some kind of miscommunication. Or, uh, no idea. There's so many, there's so many guys not in it, you know. Yeah. And uh, Chris, Chris Jericho says what... What do you need to do to qualify to go in it? This is recently. He said, "There's guy, there's guys in there who have no business being in there when, like, you know, guys like yourself worked right. worked there for forty years and you're not in it." Um, yeah. I, so I do, I do understand that the, there's a celebrity wing. Yet you guys, you know, who paved the way and worked hard and were on the road all them days a year, and you're not in there. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know the the powers that be. Yeah. It's like dem demolition. If I'm going to start saying about people that are not in there, axe and smash. But yeah, it's it, crazy, crazy how good they were. You know, everyone's yeah. like, oh, oh, it was just a rehashed version of the Road Warriors. Far from it. Far from it. They were, they were superb. And yeah. uh, you know, Billy Eadie's still going strong. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I seen Bill uh, 
recently. I think it was in Iowa, you know, but um, I forgot his partner's name. I know him uh, as well as anything. Uh, Barry Dawson. Barry, yeah. Barry, Barry oh, Dawson. Yeah. And I, I, as an agent, I filled in one time. Brian Blair was hurt, and uh, I filled in with uh, Jim Brunzel. And uh, I said, oh, my God, I worked three shots. You know, it was agent and wrestler. I said, Jesus Christ, I could work for the next 20 years with you guys. <laughs> Did it feel good to go get back in there, yeah? Oh, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. But this was back in, like, maybe 89. yeah. 8990 yeah. I went one time I worked with one man gang in uh, Salt Lake City Utah you know and we were having such fun it was a 20 minute match and Christ it was like 17 minutes I said oh boy this is too long I I'm not contracted to be in the ring for this amount of time and Jimmy Hart watched the match you know and he came in he told me he said boy that was a hell of a match you guys had he, it, never, he was it, never left you. it never it never left you tony yeah it's yeah. there it's it's in, oh, it's in yeah. your brain it, it's computed in your brain absolutely yeah. jimmy hart as well tony turned 80 yeah. 80 last week he yeah still, he still looks 60. He, yeah he, he's incredible he's yeah. incredible What's yeah and, and he's all over the place you know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. somewhere he's there you know yeah He's unreal. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing, mm -hmm. you guys, honestly, all the years you've done. Now, obviously, as a road agent and on screen as well, I've got a good I've got a good photo here for you, actually. And yeah. it's you outside it's you outside of the ring, and this would be around 1997. So I remember this fondly. We were just wow. coming into the attitude era. Mm -hmm. There you are on the outside of the ring. There's Austin and Vince, Gerald Briscoe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Chad, Chad Patton, how how was that? How was that being, you know, right in close there and, and the crowd? Because obviously Austin and Vince were absolutely, they were like dynamite, weren't they, when they put them together? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what got Austin over, I think, because everybody wanted to tell the uh, the boss, you know, to go screw himself, you know, <laughs> and Austin did it, you know. It, it, it was great. He was, he was great to work with. Um, uh as all the as all those guys you know we worked as a, like a family you know mm -hmm. to make it it wasn't like and then later on it became all bloody corporate you know i i remember on the road i used to uh you know vince wanted to know what was going on you know and i mentioned one time we were in memphis and i went outside you know we didn't have a great advance and I seen a couple of dads walk away with their kids, you know. And the kid said, Dad, aren't we going? He said, No, no. He said, The tickets are too expensive. And uh, I put that on my report, you know, so Vince mm. would, you know, see it. But the other guys see it and they got offended by it. But if you're in New York making $65,000 a year, you can afford maybe $20 for a ticket. I, yeah, I'm just using these numbers. But if you're in Memphis making 15000 a year and raising a family, mm -hmm. you can't afford $20. Mm -hmm. And um, we had guys that were responsible for certain towns 
you know, and they would have the same argument. Like one guy that was great, and he mentioned just having two price tickets, have like a $15 and a $10, you know, ticket. And this way you get the people in there, then they've got a little extra money to buy a T-shirt or a cap, which, heavens forbid, I think when things were going really strong, I think they were doing about $680 million a year, like $12 million a week in T-shirts and apps mm-hmm. and stuff. So, you know, that's, um, that's where the money was. It's the, I'd say just going into, into the now, uh, mm-hmm. since Endeavour have took over the company and all that, Ticket prices now, Tony, are ridiculous. Ringside, Ooh. I've seen prices for ringside um, at the next. It's going to be the Rumble, maybe. I think it was yeah. like two, two thousand, three thousand, four thousand, five thousand dollars a ticket. And wow. even even the cheap seats now, Tony, you're talking over a hundred dollars, and you and, wow. and you're, ripping, you're ripping the gods. It's not yeah. it, they're making enough money from the broadcast deals and stuff. Why? Why hit the fans? You know the fans mm. are what the fans pay pay the wages as well. Mm. But it, it's it's too overpriced. What do you yeah. think on that? Well, I I guess if they've got the money, you know, they pay for it. Like I remember doing a wrestle. I think it was a WrestleMania in Boston. Then I heard some guy flew his family up, mm-hmm. six people in a Learjet, and paid fifteen hundred dollars a ticket. Ringside ticket off, you know, somebody that was, sell, that was you know, selling the. Um, that was nineteen. That was nineteen ninety eight. WrestleMania fourteen. That. Re- so, yeah. you know, inflation and all that. Bloody hell. Mm. Mm. I, I I've seen posters. You know, I seen a poster. I couldn't even read the price of the tickets. I think it was twenty cents mm-hmm. for a ticket in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. But that was back in the fifties, I think. You want the working, you want the working man to be able to afford to come to it. That was what wrestling was about, you know. Yeah. For me, for me, and and it's it's going to get further and further away from it. You know, there's enough. My argument is they make enough money off off the television companies, advertising stuff. Don't 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 hit the fans in the pocket. That's not that's not just WWE. I think that's a general yeah a general thing well, I- across. I, I don't want to go anywhere. Like uh, some of my uh, uh, happy hour friends, they're going to see Willie Nelson over here. What, one of the guys bought like six tickets mm-hmm. and he didn't realize it's the same day as the uh, Daytona race. Oh, right. Right. So okay. He, he chose to go to Daytona. So he had these six tickets and he sold them. But I, I don't know how much he sold them for. It's an outdoor mm-hmm. show. In Cocoa, uh, Florida, but uh, I, I don't want to go anywhere with all the nuts out there. And <laughs> I don't blame, I, I I just, don't blame uh, you. The hell I with don't blame it, you. you know, because you never, you never know. No. You never know. You go to a grocery store. I mean, mm-hmm. up in Connecticut, where I used to live, they say people, older people, are getting attacked. You know, old ladies are coming out from the grocery store, and they're. Uh, pocketbooks are being stolen, and then you can't do anything over here to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything until you're dead, and then when you're dead, 
you can break the guy's legs but if you do it while you're alive you he'll go free and you'll get arrested mm, it's just wrong it's just wrong on so many levels that, that yeah. that's that's modern it's the modern world unfortunately but that's yeah. not right that's not right is it you know no um it's just like you shouldn't be you should be able to come and go as you please yeah you know? Uh, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. I was going to ask you. I'm going to bring some guys up, obviously, that you were in charge of being a road agent. And uh, my favorite, my favorite of all time, still is to this day. Idolized him from like 1990. So I was only four years old. Brett the Hitman Hart. How was oh, Brett? Brett. Have, you got, have you got some Brett stories for me? Because well, I met him. I met him in 2013. Finally, I was at SummerSlam '92 yeah. with my dad. I was at Wembley Stadium. I'm yeah. sure you would have been there as well. Brett, some oh, yeah. stories about Brett, Tony, because he's the best. Yeah, Brett Brett was very good. He was a hell of an artist. He, he drew, uh, you know, a whole, uh, I don't know what the, the word is, you know, but all the wrestlers, you know, mm -hmm. and he drew them, and it was very, very good. And I worked with Brett a lot when he first came in, you know. We were opening match, first, second match, you know. He was great, you know, and he told a story. He was uh, one of the best champions, uh, you know, we ever had because he told the story. Mm -hmm. But uh, I wrestled him in uh, Detroit one time, and uh, and uh, I went outside, and he picked me up, and he slammed me, and uh, it was a little bit stiff, you know, and I was on the, I think, I don't know if it was on the, the mats, out, whether we had mats or it was just a concrete floor. And I said, oh, Jesus. So then uh, um, we continued the match and uh, we went inside. And then it was time for my comeback. So we come in, I picked him up and I slammed him, just the normal slam, right? And then after the match, then he turned around, he, uh, you know, he beat me. But we went inside and he said, the slam was a little stiff, uh, don't you think? And I said, well, I just work as stiff as my opponent. You know, and we left it at that. But he brought it up years later. But he he was uh, absolutely just a fantastic worker, and he worked very hard. He worked very hard. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I think. Do you know what I gravitated to? Even that young, you know, wrestling. It was different when you were younger, growing up watching it. I was captivated by his attire. You know, pink, yeah. pink, pink and black. It was the way he was packaged. Uh, yeah. You know, everybody, every oh my word! And uh, when I met him in New Jersey at WrestleCon, mm. I couldn't string I couldn't string a sentence together, Tony. And I've met yeah. I've met many of the guys that I idolised, and he yeah. could tell I was struggling. I got to him, and he's like, yeah. I, was, I was at SummerSlam '92, and he just turns around to me and he says, "You like the outdoor shows?" And I go, "Yes, yeah. Mr. Hart, I like the outdoor yeah. shows." I wanted to speak yeah. about other stuff to him, but uh, Tony, what what a what a talent and the head of his time and different. Oh, yeah. Just, I, I miss them days. I miss them days of the guys. Yeah. Oh, yes. They, you, you know, they need to, these young fellas need to watch younger guys like him and even uh, even Sean, you know, who was a high flyer, is a, a different a type of um, uh, wrestler. But but that's what what makes it. There was one time Vince had all big guys, you know, tugboat, mm -hmm. earthquake, mm -hmm. typhoon, all. And I'm saying, wh why we got that? Because now you've got 
one match, the first match, and the second match, and the third match, and uh, they're all basically the same, you know? I mean, these guys are great athletes, mm -hmm. and, and they can do stuff, but then they're 300 pound doing stuff that, you know, like a, a 200 pounder uh, should be doing, you know, the like, or the light heavyweights, you know? So, you, you know, where does it, you, you kind of bumping heads, you know? Like a 200 pound, I can't do a big splash. Mm. It's only 200 pound, but a, a 400 pound, I can do a big splash, you know, and it makes a, an impact there. Was there anybody yeah. un underrated as your time as a road agent that didn't necessarily get the due they deserved? Was there anybody, was there any talent you thought that guy should be further up the card? Um, does, any, any, does anybody stick out in that capacity? No, yeah, you know, I think, uh, you, you know, Brett was, um, I think the uh, uh, reason he became champion was uh, Strongbow, you know. Mm -hmm. He mentioned, you know, you should you know, take a closer look at Brett, you know, and even, um, uh, well, even Sean, you know, uh, you, you know, the popularity and mm -hmm. excuse me, I got to go to the bathroom. Not a problem. Not I'll a problem. Right back. This is TJ Wilson, AKA Tyson Kidd, and you're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. You're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast, established 2019. Frank, Frank at home, you know, and not, not Bruiser, not being the... Frank, Frank at home, you know, and not, not Bruiser, not being the character, you know, just like how, how he was with, with you guys when he was home and he was off the road. Yeah. Because what it was, we had five acres. We were in the hill country in San Antonio and had five acres. So when he came home, we'd kind of shut the gates and then that's, you know, stay and be a family. Because as I said, he was recognized a lot. I mean, we had. Hello, Tony. We're back. We're back. Yeah. You know, it's all those bumps. It's affected my bladder. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, we were talking about underrated talents, like when you were road agent. Yeah, so, you know, we were saying you were saying about Brett. Yeah, yeah, he was. Um, he did. He definitely stood out there as mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, Sean Michaels did. But you know, they. I think one of the best champions we had was Yoko, mm -hmm. Yokozuna. You know, mm -hmm. like everybody he worked with as champion. You know, he made them a champion. He had the uh, psychology to do it like here's this big guy you know and um and he made his opponents look good i was legitimately scared of him <laughs> yeah, yeah i was i was scared of yoko you know when he came in and all that and yeah. uh, obviously the, the angle with undertaker where they put him in the casket you know i was yeah. i was only i was only young and it was on the vhs tape because yeah. a friend of, a friend of my dad used to record we didn't have sky television so I used to watch, I used to watch. I was legitimately scared. I thought that was the end of The Undertaker. Honestly, it, it's crazy. It's so well done. This yeah. is what it this is what it's all about. That's the mind, mm -hmm. that's the mind of Vince and, and the guys, isn't it? Yeah. 
Well, like, like, like you see the Undertaker or Paul Bearer, you know, I mean, if you put all the bits and pieces in a computer and you hit, uh, you know, Undertaker, that's who you'd get. And, you know, if you hit, you know, Paul Bearer, you know, it was perfect. You know, it's just, it was bloody magic, you know. Those were the days. I, I, my favorite time, like obviously going back late 80s for me and early 90s, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But a lot of my friends of my age, all the Attitude Era, they absolutely, but I, I adore, I adore that late 80s into the early 90s, WWF. Yeah. Well, I was, I was through the 70s, you know, and the, well, the 70s, it was like 75, 80,000 miles a year, mm -hmm. you know, in the road and all sorts of weather. You know, I, it's wonder we didn't have more accidents. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I I appreciate I appreciate that time obviously you no know, going back because we we I I wasn't aware of the territories obviously yeah. it was when it was all international by the time I was watching but yeah you know, it, I love I love going back to the seventies Tony watching the old footage oh yeah it's um it's slower but uh, I've I've watched some stuff. I watched some stuff recently. I think it was with the Samoans out of Philadelphia. I think that was our first match. And uh, then I watched something else. I said, holy Christ, I was moving like a bloody jackrabbit. <laughs> I said, Christ, why am I moving so fast? Yeah, but it was good. And then... Um, well, that's when, you know, Rick Martel came in and we had, the, you know, similar uh, styles. And I, I still stay in touch with Rick. I talked with him about three days ago. He's he's up in uh, Quebec and he's very happy up there. That's good. That's good. What a talent. What a talent. And do you know what, Tony? Only until, like, years later, I didn't realize he'd come away and gone to the AWA. I thought it was AWA. And then he, he came and then he came back in obviously to tag with Tito and all that. I did I didn't realize I didn't realize he left and came back. I oh yeah. I did I didn't realize that at the time. You know, it's obviously watching documentaries and different things. Mm. Yeah, he done very well over in the AWA. I think he was the AWA champion mm -hmm. there. You know, and Jack Lanza was there, and uh, he had he had quite a bit of pull there. And I think he he pushed for Rick. You know, to have a Nick Bonkwickle, you know, another great worker. I I was working with Nick once down in the Carolinas, you know, and we were having a you know a good old wrestling match. You know, there wasn't too many high spots, and he had my arm tied up, you know, and uh, and I got up, you know, and he pulled my hair on my trunks, and I went back down, and uh, you know, kicked my feet a little bit, and I come back up and. Uh, you know, again, he pulled me down. He said, Tony, next time you get up, he said, hit me. I said, okay, Nick. I said, was which arm should I hit you? <laughs> he was great. There was another one, John Tolles, out of California. I think he was Canadian. He was a Greek guy. What a fantastic worker he was. And I wrestled him out there, and I had so much fun with him i kept calling him blassie because he wrestled blassie for a long time you know and i wrestled blassie too in the early 70s he was in new york christ he must have been 60 years old what, what a what a mind 
bottom yeah. line. And then obviously, you know, when he went into the managing, this yeah. again, you know, you can't teach it. You, it's like Bobby Heenan. It's just oh, Bobby they, was just they just they just naturally they just naturally yeah. have gift gift the gab and the brain. Yeah, I hate to I hate to make it obvious, but he was the brain. It was, yeah. you can't teach it, can you, Tony? You just you've got no. it, or you haven't. You've got it. You, unbelievable. Him and him and uh, him and Gorilla on commentary as well. Oh yeah, the the best, the mm. best commentary tandem we've ever had, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh yeah, G Gorilla was a, a, a great guy too. You know, I was just thinking of him the other day. You know, and uh, you know, with what he did, and he was an agent. You know, for Vince's mm -hmm. father, and he was part owner of the company. You know, but he just he said to me, he said, Tony, I, I, I said, I said, Gino, I said, can I do this out there? He said, just go and do what you think you have to do. And if it's wrong, we'll tell you not to do it again. And I came out one time. He said, Tony, he said, don't do that again. I said, what's that? And he told me what I forget what it was. And uh, and I said, OK. And that was it. And that, and that was my philosophy of being an agent, not tell him to go out there and it's scripted. Now you do this. Now when you get to the ring, you put your right foot on the step on the bottom step first and then you then you go up the steps and go to the left of the post and put your right leg over the middle rope and bend under the top rope and get in you know just go out there and do what you think is right and if it's wrong i'll correct you mm -hmm. or if they do something um like I had one guy, he took a bump outside, he, you know, it was, it was quite a big bump. And, and within three seconds, he was on the opposite side of the ring. And I called him and I said, does this make any sense? He said, oh, 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 oh. I said, well, you know, next time you do it, just lay there. Nobody's going anywhere. Show that you're hurt. You didn't even show anybody you were hurt. You know, so they uh, he did it, and and the guy stayed in the WWE or whatever the hell it was, you know, for quite some time. But so they he did was able to listen to me. They you know, did. They um, did, they, they did yeah. listen. Guys did listen. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That that's that's the main that's the main thing, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Well, he, well, even he, even some of the uh, you know the top echelon don't understand. What the hell is going on? I, I I went down to get a baby face one time and he was hurt. And I told him, I said, just hold the back of your head. Don't look at the people. Ignore the people. I'm not going to help you out, I carry you out. You're going to put your arm on my shoulder, uh, you know, and, and walk with me. But ignore the people. And then we got almost, you know, to the curtain. And I said, just stop. But don't look at the people. I rub your head because that's where it was hurt. And then we went through and convinced the people backstage that he was hurt. Mm -hmm. And then, he, you know, when we got backstage, you know, he was fine. And um, then somebody said, well, that was a silly thing to do. And I said, I told him to do it. He said, well, that was stupid. They didn't 
fucking understand it. Excuse mm -hmm. me. No, no, not, not at all. He not didn't all. understand mm -hmm. the psychology of it. No. You hurt, take advantage of it. There was another thing that I didn't make, I mentioned it, but the big show used to punch people, knock them out. And then the guys would walk out of the ring. Yeah, 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 yeah. You've just been hit oh. by a 500-pound man. There's no logic. Yeah. You get straight. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, you, just, you were just trying to bring logic to it. That was yeah. what you, that's what you're trying to do, aren't you? You know. Cool. It's magic, but uh, it's our magic. <laughs> I've got to ask you, Tony, have you got much? Can you remember SummerSlam 92? Because obviously you, you were over here. Can you remember SummerSlam 92 at Wembley Stadium? Whereabouts was it? You were at Wembley. The, the big oh, one. yeah, yeah. Well, it was, I've, got, uh... I've got to ask you because I was there with my dad. I mm. was there. I was there six years old. Yeah. So, so yeah, just like you. Yeah. Your, uh, your, your the boxer bulldog. was there, wasn't he? The, Lennox, the heavy... Lennox, Lennox Lewis came out with the yeah. Jack with Bulldog. Yes, yes, he did. You are correct. Yeah, I think I, I, I might have walked to the ring with him. I'm not sure. Mm. I used to be at ringside all the time. I used to see you, but we did. <laughs> I Because did, I didn't know you as the wrestler. I just saw mm. you and Rene Goulet coming out when there was a smoz, when there was a kickoff, something was going on. Like, obviously, because yeah. it was before my time when you guys were wrestling. But years yeah. later, I was like, shit, he's Tony Guerrero. And that's yeah. Rene Goulet. That's Rene Goulet. But we knew yeah. it on screen coming yeah. out when there was stuff happening outside the ring. And that's how we, that's how we knew you. But, mm. yeah. Yeah, I think, they, I, I think Davy Boy Smith was the big uh, card there, wasn't he? Unbelievable. Beat Brett for the title. Yeah. And oh, yeah. When you look back, they were positioning yeah. Bulldog the year before. They were getting him ready. Yeah. Uh, the, the program with Warlord going into that. Yeah. Um, you know, he won He won the Battle Royal at the Albert Hall. Yeah. So oh. when, when, when you look oh. back, Bulldog, yeah. was getting, Bulldog was getting positioned. Uh, you know, it all makes sense, doesn't it, afterwards? Yeah. He was a hell of a rubber, the bulldog. I, oh, know, I've he, heard stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was funny. He, yeah. I, I caught him with my, I had my case, you know, and I had the combination on it. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, he, you know, he spotted the combination, right? So he was going to, his thing, he used to change it, you know, change the combination, you know, get into it and change it. So uh, I spotted him. So I, I closed the case and I, I walked out and he was making his way over to my case and I walked back in and he, he, he kind of like, oh, you know, almost got caught. So then I opened the case and I, I changed the combination myself. So now he doesn't know what the combination is. And then I went out for a little while and then I come in there and he's working on the combination. I says, you asshole. <laughs> I says, I got you. Oh, funny. But he was a good businessman. I mean, mm -hmm. he, um, he done what he had to do, you know, for the business. It wasn't, uh, oh, well, I'm not doing this. So I'm not doing that. He when was he good. But 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 his son Harry is a great performer. Oh, Harry Harry is superb. You know he's worked. He's obviously worked in WWE, but it's his work in other companies. And obviously, yeah. uh, Brett Brett's got Dungeon Wrestling with his boys yeah. there in Canada. You know they're 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 obviously running they're running in Alberta there, and obviously Harry's central to it. What yeah. what a talent! I I agree. I agree. 
should be a yeah, bigger, he, bigger he, he star goes than he to is. Japan at, he, you Absolutely. know, he goes to Japan, and I think he he, know, he knows the Japanese language, and he's he's very into the Japanese stuff. Nice guy, really nice guy. Yeah, I got I'd a love, lot of time for him. I'd love, I'd love to meet, I'd love to meet him in person. Absolutely, but Tony, we're getting coming towards the end now because I don't want to keep you much longer. Yeah. I know time is of the essence, and you're a busy man. Uh, I've got some photos, and this is courtesy of Barbara Goodish. So obviously yeah. you've, been, you've been doing the conventions and I know uh, your fellow Kiwi, Barbara Goodish, yeah. the, the widow of the great Bruiser Brody. So I'm going to pull this image up now. So there we all are. Like, Haku, oh, yeah. J, Haku, JJ Dillon there. Yeah, I think... I can't remember where the heck that was. Whether <laughs> it was or the Cauliflower Alley Club. Right, okay. Hmm. How how is it doing events and going to things with the wrestling oh, oh. The, the wrestling fraternity? Oh yeah, I I enjoy it because you know I get to meet like I work with JJ Dillon, I work with Haku, you know, and um, cause Barbara is nice to see her, and then um, JJ's daughter she comes out with her Pamela. Yeah, that's at Iowa. That's at the uh, Hall of Fame in Iowa. There's Big Stan, Big Stan Hansen yeah. there, if I'm not mistaken, the master of the lariat. And uh, yeah, yeah. What's, what, I love watching his matches back, especially in Japan. But also, very underrated, his, his matches in WCW, NWA, when he came mm -hmm. over as well, like superb. What a talent. So I bet it's just, I bet it's awesome doing these events and, and meeting the fans. Oh, oh yeah. And, uh, you know, there was one guy, I, w I was up in Toronto, and he came up to me, they had the, uh, like, Hall of Fame thing, and I was signing, and he said, Tony, I don't know if you remember, and, and, and he had my autograph, uh, that he says, uh, my father was at Jilly's one night, and uh, you walked in, I said, I remember, and he, he came up to me, Jilly's is a, a restaurant in New York, and right. Jilly was Frank Sinatra's uh, right-hand man. Right. And, uh, and uh, the guy come and uh, he asked for an autograph for his son. And I gave it. And, you know, this was like 35 years previous. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. So for, you, for you to remember that, you know, just the, the countless miles and the places. That, that's yeah. amazing that you could remember meeting his father. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, his father was all dressed in a suit, you know, and I was in a three-piecer, you know. But not anymore. Then, you know, I'm getting ready to go to the gym as soon as this is over. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Tony. No, I'm no, no, don't worry about it. No. Absolutely. I, I, Thank you. I, uh, that's, that's what I do. I, every morning I go to the mm -hmm. gym and uh, I work out for – actually, the last couple of workouts have been like an hour and 10 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes. Go on, Tony. Go yeah. on, Tony. You're better than me. I don't go to the gym. I'm terrible. Terrible. Yeah, but I'm I, gaining. I'm gaining weight. I'm twenty bloody stone now. Twenty stone. Twenty stone. Wow. You could get back in the ring, I reckon. Yeah. No. 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 I, no uh, that's a no. No. I can't See, get up. If I fall down, I can't get up. Uh, right. Okay. Okay. Just, you know, it's funny. Uh, there's a few guys, you know, my age at, at the gym or around my age. Mm -hmm. 
and they talk about how hard it is to get up off the couch. No. But they're there. Oh, they're, they're, just I, get up, stand at up. Least, at least they're going, they're going and keeping active, which yeah. is no fantastic. I talked to, talk to a friend of mine. He's younger than me, and, and uh, I talked to him last night, and I said, how are you doing? He said, oh, I'm having a little trouble with my legs, you know, mm. work, walking. And, he, you know, he's not a big guy. He never was a big guy. I could understand if he was big. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tony, before we go, are you getting yeah. back to New Zealand anytime soon? Are you getting to go back and see the family over there? Well, well I, I was thinking of, of going back but uh, this year, but then there was a, a, a little problem with, um, with my brother and his uh, spouse, so I'm kind of glad I didn't go. Uh, but I, I might go a, a little bit later. Maybe I'll go in the New Zealand winter. I used to like to go, you know, in the uh, New Zealand summer because I like the warm weather. But even the winter isn't bad up north because you just get rain, you know. Mm -hmm. It's a little chilly. but And before you go, to keep, to keep um, in the loop with the rugby these mm -hmm. days, to keep up with the New Zealand oh, the rugby oh, yeah. union. Yeah, I watched the World Cup, you know, and that, uh, excuse me, I got to go to the bathroom again. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, a lot of these people, uh, Tony are a Kiwi too. Yes, so he's a, yes. Yeah, he's Absolutely. a Kiwi. I just saw him not that long ago. I rode up to Charlotte with him uh, not so long. So there are, oh, another one. Bushwhacker Luke. I was going to say, I was going to ask about the sheep, sheep herders, the bushwhackers. That that was yeah. what was coming into my mind, Barbara. Yeah. Can't, leave, can't leave them guys out. Oh, no, dear, dear old Luke. Yeah, I just, I've seen him a couple of times too in some of the events that I've gone to. And like I said, when we were in Charlotte, there was, uh, there was Luke, there was Tony, and there was me. We had the yeah, so we were talking about obviously the New Zealand in the World Cup. Now I had you, I had you winning, I had you winning it from the start of that tournament. I really did. Yeah, I um, yeah, I watched a few games, but I, I and I wasn't the only person that bloody television um, referee that's uh, calling the shots. Um, it's got to be changed. You know, the rules have changed a lot. I understand mm -hmm. that since, uh, you know, since I played like 50, 60 years ago. But um, God almighty, it, you know, even the, the referee on the field, you know, he's overridden by this guy, mm -hmm. you know, and you got different angles. I remember I remember watching a, a try. It was mm -hmm. a legitimate try, but the guy's head and upper body was blocking the ball and it was like just over the line and the referee was behind it and he didn't see it. Mm. But I seen it from where I was and I was just watching the game and it was a try, but it was disallowed because the referee didn't see it. Now, I, the flagmen, they didn't have any say in it. They just were... You know, the lineman, you know, the ball went out here. So I put my foot here and I raised the flag and you put it out. So you put it in. 
and that's all they had to do. But um, yeah, the, the the rules are killing the frigging game. It's the same it's all... with uh, same with the football, the soccer, yeah. the the VAR, this video assistant ref, and they're in a. They get they get the ref. They're still not getting it right. It delays. Yeah. It delays it. They add a load of time on. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's frustrating. It just prolongs it, yeah. uh, and it's caused more bad than good. Having yeah. it, just let them let them play. Just let them play the game. You know, if it's and, rugby, the, and the scrums. Yeah, you have a scrum, mm. and you you throw the ball. You know, behind, behind the hooker's uh, legs. You know, it used to have to throw it straight in. And, and then you'd kick each other in the shins. I played uh, blindside prop when I was playing league, you know. Then league, I had league, my, uh, actually I had my friend uh, that uh, switched from rugby to league in New Zealand, and his son played for Leeds years ago. Wow! Wow! Kevin Incredible Waldo was his name. Right. Yeah. League, league, still, league, still massive, especially up in the north near me, over the mm. border. League is a, a northern, you know, yeah. more north, more northern. Yeah. There's, there's some southern teams, but it, Union, Union down south more so. But yeah. league, league is still, uh, it's bloody tough. They're hard, yeah. they're hard guys in league. Yeah, I, I, I liked it because it was a faster game. Uh, mm. You know, back in the sixties. Like it, it, with rugby, it was like, uh, you know, ruck, whistle, scrum, ruck, whistle, scrum, you know, tackle, ruck, whistle, scrum. And it is like, God, at least, the you know, and now, you know, rugby is as fast, if not faster than me. Absolutely. Great guys. Yeah. Tony. I, I missed that. I wanted, what I wanted to do in New Zealand was eventually coach my sons mm -hmm. in in league and eventually play with them, which I could have. You know, I would have mm -hmm. been 40. My youngest would have been, no, my eldest would have been 18. The younger would have mm -hmm. been 17. And those were, big, you know, they grew pretty big guys like six, three, six, four. Wow. You know, 17, 18 stone. Absolutely. Do you still use 18 stone over there, or do you? Oh, ah, yeah, it's still stones. Yeah. It's still not not pounds, not pounds. Yeah. Get the stones in. It's like um, some of our promotions over here, you know, the independents. Like, yeah. the ring announcer will call it. I do think they do stones if, if they do call weight. Oh, yeah. it's still still stones. It's still wow. stones. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, in New Zealand, it's kilograms or something. So, oh, you know, right. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm like yeah. 127, you know, for God's wow. sake. Wow. I should be 110. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, yeah. thank you so, so much for coming on. Okay, it's been good. Yeah. Thank you. So, former WWE star, NWA star, road agent in WWE for so many years. My guest for episode 165, all the way from Cape Canaveral there in Florida, by way of New Zealand. It's Mr. Tony Berea, who's been my guest on Stu's Wrestling Podcast today. Well, thank you very much, mate. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Can I get a passport with this? Uh, you, you, sound, I have? You, sound, you sound like Robin Williams when he did Mrs. Doubtfire there, Tony. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Thank okay. you so, so much. Okay, I've, I've, I've loved yeah. it. Take care. All the best. Okay, thank you.
Social Podcast Network.